Welcome to Two For None, your favourite cricket comedy podcast. My name is Patrick Cullen and I am back with the man, the myth, the legend, Christopher T. Barty. Bardo, we won a bloody test match. We won it. We did, Pat. Uh, it's a sense of deja vu. Uh, another Gabba test match, another Gabba Ashes test match, and another Australian victory. And another sense of deja vu, Pat. We're getting double deja vu. Deja vu, deja vu. <laughs> Once again, Mitchell Stark performs adequately, and once again, Shane Warne has something to say about it that seems to be contrary <laughs> to everybody's opinion. Yeah, it's been extraordinary. Huh? It's like, it's so high school, too. Like, it's really like the cool kid in high school being like, oh, nah, you suck, eh? This kid sucks, mate. And it's like, he bowled on a 147-kilometer-an-hour swinging Yorker as a first ball and, and rips, you know, poor old Rory Burns' his pegs out of the ground. And and you're trying to, like, gaslight me, Warney, into believing that it was a bad ball and he did a bad job. And and I saw it with my own eyeballs, mate. It moved. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? It was a rip snorter, first up. <laughs> he, ripped a, he ripped an English opening batsman's bloody pegs out of the ground with the first ball of the series and you were somehow disappointed in him. Like, yeah. what world are you living in? It was the ball was so good. It literally ruined Rory Burns' week. <laughs> Mate, Rory Burns had a shocker of a week, Bardo. Yeah. He couldn't catch a cold. He got his pegs ripped out first ball of the entire game, which which I am going forth and nicknaming a platinum duck. Um, you know, one up there on the diamond. It was a full wedding ring, Chris. I tell you what. <laughs> not only first ball of the test match, but first ball of the series. I mean, oh. that. That duck is so covered in medley goodness that it'll get you into the Qantas Club. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it might even get you a return flight home on British Airways. It's That's a real, right. It's, it was a really serious duck. Oh, jeez. It was a, a very fun test match, Chris, top to toe. Lots of things to talk about. Paddy Cummins making his debut mm. as captain, taking polls, living the dream. Joe Root and David Milan fighting back. David Warner getting so lucky, you'd think he was in a Pharrell song. It, it had the entire uh, twists and turns. It really did. It really did. You know, I think it was a perfect test match from an Australian supporter's standpoint because, um, you know, not only did we win the test match comfortably, um, but there was just enough in there so that we could make it seem like we really value, um, you know, a tight tussle. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, This is our preferred way of doing it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We could say, look, we really love a, a tight contest and how great is test cricket without too much actual discomfort. Um, so look, exciting test match. Great, great way to start the series. I think some positives for England um, amongst the the wreckage. I think the performances of uh, uh, Ollie Robertson and, and Mark mm. Wood were uh, ones that uh, they can hang their hats on. And then also good to see, um, well, undeniably England's best batsman, Joe Root, making some runs and uh, dragging David Milan along for the journey. 
mate, and we've seen some stats about Joe Root this week where he has more runs, I think, than the next seven English batsmen this year combined and the majority of the English top six and even extended, like everyone who's played a test, it's averaging in the 20s. Um, I think mm. David Milan is the only bloke who's averaging in the 30s this year. Uh, when you've got a bloke who scored 1,500 runs in a calendar year and you've won test matches, it really makes it so crystal clear about how much this English batting lineup is completely dependent on Joe Root making runs. And when you're opening batsman, who, you know, is I think second on the list behind Joe Root for test runs for England this year, when your opening batsman gets his poles taken out of the ground at the very first ball of the series, yeah. you know you're going to have a rough time. <laughs> Dad, insult to injury. They got all of their World Test Championship points docked for a slow over rate, and they got fined their entire match. Yeah. So it's a, well, it's a real you, shocker. I tell you what, um, everyone's having a go, aren't they? I mean, Booney just inserted himself into the series uh, by effectively rendering um, England's performance pro bono. Uh, you know, I mean, England's overrate was so slow. I think, what was it? The third slowest test ever played in Australia. And it's almost as if Booney had said, look, what we're going to do is we're going to draw inspiration from the pizza delivery business and oh. uh, you, you, you know in you know in pizza delivery it's uh, it's hot and fresh within 30 minutes otherwise it's free um, <laughs> and Booney said look this overrate's going a little cold um, I'm going to need a free pie and buddy um, you probably weren't the only one needing some free pies there mate about everybody in the outer grandstands of the Wacker got sorry of the Gabba got some free tasty pies from Jack Leach who was serving them up hot fresh and delicious speed train got absolutely carded <laughs> pummeled <laughs> he, he did he did look not a not a great start to the series there for Jack Leach I'm not quite sure where we go to from here because it was really interesting to listen to Joe Root's comments after the game where he said he perhaps could have supported Jack Leach a little bit better with setting some more defensive field mm. settings I'm not sure that's necessarily what you want to do with your frontline spinner. Uh, but as we know, it's quite difficult for finger spinners uh, at the Gabba in particular. And how lucky are we to have um, such a good one in Nathan Lyon, who brought up his 400th Mate, test wicket? What a what a gun, what a jet, what a diamond. And you could literally see the relief on him, I think. I mean, especially considering how quickly he picked up his next like three odd wickets. He just really ripped through <laughs> after not getting wickets since, you know, the last test back in January or February, whatever it was. Uh, against India, yeah, he really, he really cracked on it. And well-deserved, Bardo. You know, like, Australia is such a difficult place to bowl off-spin. It's so hard. You know, we just don't produce that many off-spinners here. Like, Gary Lyon is a real outlier in the data, you know, isn't he? It's like him and Jim Laker, <laughs> you know? Pretty pretty much. You know, it had been a long time uh, since Australia had had a front-line finger-spinner of significant note. I think you have to go all the way back to Tim mm. May. And I could be wrong, but I think that this might make Nathan Lyon the third or fourth highest uh, finger spinner in terms of test wickets of yeah, all time wow. now, which is no significant, no uh, no insignificant effort. I think he sits uh, off the top of my brain behind uh, Rangan yep. Harath, uh, Harbhajan Murali. Singh. Murali was a wrist spinner. Murali no, was a wrist spinner. No, he wasn't. Uh, he was an off spinner. What are you talking about? Yeah, but leave it with me. 
I'll check the I'll check the quick info. Get the quick get the Bible out, uh, and uh, we'll we'll confirm Mathematics. Right right a wrist spinner, Chris, buddy. What are you talking about? You're high as a kite over there, mate. You've just been chalking him up. He literally invented the Dozra. That was the whole thing. He got an off spinner to go the other way. Yeah, <laughs> <but> <laughs> listen. <laughs> You look at that wrist, mate. It works. Oh, well, I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, if, you, just, if you're coming in here and telling me Miralithrin did a lot of wrist action, but uh, I'm I'm here to completely agree with you. Um, you're you're absolutely Hang right on. about that for sure. Uh, all right, big man. I reckon with all of that in mind, it's a really good time to get into some Alex Spinks. Um, so Spinksy, of course, is our Australian correspondent. But I, I can see you furiously giggling over there. Have you found the stat that you require in your life? No. Nah. Not one that backs up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. Anyway, mo- look, most most um, most wickets by spinners in tests. Okay. So Murali, unsurprisingly, has the most. Uh, just a few, eight hundred. <laughs> uh, how's this? How's this for Murali stats? Hit me. Eight hundred wickets at an average of twenty-two. Yeah, it's good. Huh? Um, just insane. Um, the great one, uh, Shane Keith Morn, sits next, uh, 145 matches, 708 wickets at an average of 25. Uh, next, we have uh, Anil Kumble, of course, uh, the uh, famous Indian leg mm-hmm. spinner uh, with uh, 619 wickets average at 29. Rangan Harath, so there you go, I had one. Um, he was uh, had 433 wickets at an average of 28. Ravi Ashwin. Now, Ravi Ashwin, still playing. Uh, 81 matches, uh, 427 wickets, an average at 24. Mm. So, yeah, where's that guy going to end up at the end of his career? That's Those are some phenomenal stats uh, right there. And then finally, we've got uh, Habajan Singh sitting on, underneath that with 417 wickets and Nathan Lyon, of course, with 403 following his performance at the Gabba. So, slowly making his way up, I, th- I think we could safely say that uh, he will eventually pass Harbajan, possibly this summer, in terms of those spinning uh, test wicket-taking yep. rankings. But uh, hard to see him going past Ravi Ashwin. Uh, he could, perhaps, uh, go as high as uh, number three or... Uh, or even number two by the end of his career. I mean, mate, Ravi Ashwin is a a serious operator. And it's also worth saying, Chris, you know, that both Ravi Ashwin has had the long handle taken to him in Australia and Murali had the long handle taken to him in Australia too. Like, it's a damn hard place to bowl off breaks. It really is bloody tricky. And poor old Jack Leach. (laughs) Uh, You know, there were times, Chris, in between Travis Head just absolutely carting him to every section of the ground there were these brief flickers I had in my heart just a tiny bit of sympathy it went quickly it's not something that I need to see a doctor about or or get medicated for I don't think but I did have brief moments of sympathy for him yeah 100% look it is tough and clearly the Australians have targeted Jack Leach as well Um, now Pat I've got something to prove my point (laughs) we're both right this is from a uh this is a quote from a, a Crick Info article written on the 6th of August, 2006, uh-huh. which I thumbed through the records at Crick Info and judiciously uh-huh. found this. Uh, and the quote is, As a bowler, Murali standing world cricket is unique for several reasons. He's the first wrist-spinning off-break bowler in the history of cricket. Before Murali, 
off-brakes were finger-spun. Murali's huge off-brakes are spun from the wrist. Uh, Can someone get uh, Jack Leach in here? Because Pat needs to eat some I don't pie. think that's entirely true, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> if you look on his page, it'll just say, but time or alithrin off-brakes. But, you know, right arm off-brake. I don't know what to tell you, mate. I don't know what to tell you. Sure, he might have moved it with yeah. his wrist. But, I don't know. I'm happy to concede, Chris, that, uh, I don't know, he did spin his off-brakes with his wrist. I don't know. I don't know. I feel... How about how about this? <laughs> how about we just acknowledge that even what is it? Ten years after he's retired, Murali is still confusing. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I think that's <laughs> we, a gr- even 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 after he stopped bowling, we still can't read it out of yeah. hand. We've had ten years yeah. to figure it out, and yeah. we still can't do it. It's never is a true statement been more said. Um, all right. Well, that in mind, let's body listen to some Spinksy, shall we? We'll get back on the ball and get back to the ashes real quick instead of arguing about Murali. That sounds like a vibe. <laughs> Here he is, folks. Alex Spinks, our Aussie correspondent, with a first test recap. And in classic fashion, an absolute banger to kick us off. Yes, thank you, Nick Carter. Be still my thumping heart. The back streets are back. And by back streets, I mean test cricket. And by back, I mean it has returned. And not where Travis had carried the Australian tail on days two and three. With the tests back on and crammed into a very tight schedule, this feels like a unique test series in that fatigue management is going to be paramount for both squads, with so few days break between each test. England started the management early by keeping Jimmy Anderson in the bubble wrap they transported him in, and Stuart Broad was benched so England's fitter, younger bowlers could delay the setting in of fatigue until um, the 70th over on day two when Ollie Robinson was trundling in to bowl 117 kilometre per hour Thunderbolts. Hold up there, Spinksy. Um, but uh, one, 117 kilometre Thunderbolts are indeed Thunderbolts from Spinks. But, mate, were you, you, how did you feel about this whole, um, you know, misselection or unselection of Broad and Anderson, uh, with the lack of those two blokes in the first test, and the fact that even without those two, they elected to bowl f- back first, I'm sorry, um, seemed pretty strange all round, really. Well, I think the people that are actually most furious about the non-selection of James Anderson are the publishers of his autobiography because the title of his autobiography, Pat, is Bowl, Sleep, Repeat. (laughs) And if he's not bowling, it's just sleep, 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 sleep. Well, it's a lot less catchy title having carry the drinks, (laughs) sleep, repeat. Yeah, so I, I wonder whose job was it then if... James Anderson wasn't performing one of his two functions uh, to wake him up. You know, that's yeah. who, who's, who was on that job. It's but, a really lucky he was in Australia, mate. So one of the Wiggles probably could have popped around there and done a little bit of wake up Jeff, wake up Jimmy, yeah, um, you sure. know, to keep him going. Well, there's I mean, eight understand. Wiggles now. So someone, I'm sure someone had some free time. There's a lot of Wiggles now. They really are hunting in packs and moving at night. But my friend, you can understand them wanting to keep Jimmy for Adelaide. Like, sure, mm. the bloke is a million years old. He's older than time himself. He's held together purely with gaffer tapes, dreams, and the, the thoughts of swing bowling. But broad? 
David Warmland's nemesis, Stuart yeah. Broad. He's 35. I mean, and he must have been short of a, uh, a run or something because that seems completely idiotic. It's like seeing Mike Gatting opening the batting and not bringing out Shane Keith Warren. You know, it makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah, look, clearly they had a line of thinking that we weren't privy to, Pat, um, unsurprisingly. <laughs> No, the, the, we're privy to all the big decisions. That's right. The England test selectors usually keep me very up to date. They, get, they, they get, keep us on the horn, you know? But as you say, Jimmy Anderson's 39. It's mm. understandable. You might want to keep his body fresh uh, and, and pick your spots. That's fine, particularly with a jam-packed Ashes schedule. Completely understandable. I think Stuart Broad, as you say, Pat, was uh, a slightly more unusual decision given his record against David Warner and the fact that, you know, as well, we said already, you know, David Warner had so many lives in that uh, test match. He would probably would have had a few less uh, if, if uh, Stuart Broad was bowling. I think also the way the message was delivered, I, I, from what I understand, it was delivered to him on the morning of the test match. So, Oof. bit of a tough one. I'm sure he's professionally would have bounced back pretty quickly. But I think we saw that perhaps they uh, they missed one there. And having two blokes with, what, 1,500 test wickets running Gatorade out yeah. in the middle of the field a, was a pretty strange look. It's got to be said. But listen, like, as you say, Chris, it is possible the English selectors know something we don't. Alternatively, it's also possible they've beefed it. And, and mm. results may speak for themselves there. Let's go back to Spinksy. Over on day two when Ollie Robinson was trundling in to bowl 117 kilometre per hour thunderbolts. So, the things that happened in this first Ashes test at what was formerly known as the Gabatoire. This test curiously started itself on day two of the scheduling, England having been absent on day one without a doctor's note, for which they were fined 20% of their match fee and one World Test Championship point. Then, being the handsome pin-up boy of Australian cricket's new, new fresh start from scandals past that he is, Pat Cummins quite graciously made a deal with Joe Root to allow absent England a 150-ish run head start, as long as the scorecard shows that Pat Cummins took a fiver on his first day as captain. Yeah, holding up there, Spinksy. How good was Paddy Cummins in that first dig as a bowler, Bardo? Taking fiver in your captaincy debut, you got to yeah. love that. Look, absolutely. I thought our entire bowling contingent on that first day was spectacular. You know, and Pat Cummins really didn't feature until the latter part of the innings. It was really, um, well, we talked about Mitchell Stark and the way he got the innings off to a flyer. But then I thought Josh Hazelwood was spectacular. Yeah, and then, wonderful. At, as you say, there were parts where Pat Cummins was just simply unplayable. And we saw how this could work having a, a fast bowler as a captain and you know really leveraging the uh, collective intelligence that is in that uh, cricketing lineup you know whether that's steve smith uh, you know we forget travis head is a captain of south australia yeah um, david warner's obviously been around for a long period of time um so yeah alex carey has been the captain of the odi side so there's there's a lot of um bits and pieces flying around that paddy cummins can lean on and you know clearly that that was something that worked well for us yeah mate and i thought the plans were brilliant i mean alex carey slotted straight in you wouldn't even notice that we hardly even knew to see he was there because he just kept taking catches took eight on his debut which is an equal record i believe um but also paddy cummins as a captain had very clear and specific plans for mm. each batsman 
you know, gone with the days of which I'm still a part of in my club team of if you get a pole, you get another over. Doesn't matter how many you got hit for in that over, you get another over because you took a pole, um, which is the only reason why I get second overs, Chris. Um, <laughs> it was based purely on economy alone. I'd never bowl again. Uh, so that's fortuitous. But Paddy Cummins was the opposite side of the ballpark, right? They had very specific yeah. bowlers, they had specific matchups, and he implemented those. You know, Cameron Green, our sweet and favourite West Australian, uh, um, takes his first test wicket and we're all up in arms being like Cameron Green the legend and is immediately pulled off so Josh Hazelwood mm. can have a crack at the next batter mm. um, and in a way that lack of sentimentality that more incredibly practical yeah. almost felt data driven approach to captaincy was wonderful to see it was like we're not here to mess around we're not here to you know we're not here to do anything but win this game and win it as efficiently as possible we've done our research we've got a plan we're going to implement it that's and that right was wonderful to see yeah and it's a funny thing that happens when you implement the plan it's uh don't deviate from the plan stay on the uh, plan chris stay on the plan it generally works out pretty well so no look magnificent performance there from pat cummins you know well deserved you know got out some of uh england's more established probably the best batsman of the innings being Hasib uh, Hamid. Uh, mm. Although he wasn't England's highest scoring batsman, probably looked the most at home, most competent. And Cummins was able to get his wicket uh, as well as that of uh, Ben Stokes, uh, a young up-and-comer. <laughs> young up and coming. A little known batsman named Ben Stokes. Not many out of New Zealand. This podcast I've heard of. Yeah. Uh, so he's picked up some two key wickets there, as well as uh, yeah. cleaning up the tail in relatively quick succession. Terrific first innings as Australian captain. So, what else can you say? Yeah, magic, Chris. Magic. God for 147 no balls in England's first innings, and the nicest thing Warney said about Starkey is that he was England's best player. Shane Warne was somehow invited back into work the next day. On day two, England's first day in the field, except for a decent low slips catch by David Milan, the England cricket team fielded like they had been replaced by the contestants in Monty Python's upper-class twit of the year show. Gervais Brookhamster, he's in the wine trade and his father uses him as a waste paper basket. <laughs> David Warner was trying to gift England his wicket as an early Christmas present, but these grinchy bastards didn't want to accept the gift. Because this was deemed by officials to not be in the spirit of Christmas, England was docked another 20% of their match fees and another World Test Championship point. I know we've mentioned it. Sorry, Spinksy. Sorry, Bardo. I know we've mentioned how lucky David Warner was, but Bardo, I just wanted to mention the run out that Hamid missed from short, short leg. Which was the funniest thing, man. That was some out-and-out village cricket nonsense. It really was. Yeah. <laughs> Threw his bat, lost his bat, was out. Hamid from a metre away manages to miss the stumps. And Warner was still out of his ground for about another 15, 20 seconds while he, like, scrambled to put his glove across there. Honestly, it was funny. Yeah, it's probably the last time I get Benny Hill in as a fielding consultant. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, dear old Rory Burns dropped an absolute sitter there as well, honestly. The whole thing was ridiculous. Uh, let's keep rolling. 29 runs when Pat Cummins walked out to bat in the afternoon. By the close of play 20 overs later, Head was batting alongside Mitchell Stark and was on 112 runs. The owner of his moustache would be proud. 
According to Shane Warne, Australia's middle order collapse was because Mitchell Stark was shining a laser pointer into all of the Aussie batters' eyes. <laughs> on day three now, Australia finished its innings on the best day for batting so as to give England a fighting chance. Hold on, this makes me really quick, Bardo. We've mentioned it, but we'll just say it again. How wonderful was it to see Travis Head hit that ton? You know, he came into this yeah. series under pressure and he totally responded. And the aggression with which he went after Jack Leach and the, the deftness with which he played their quicks early on, even if it was a bit shaky when he got started, um, was fantastic to see. Fantastic to see stamp his authority on the game and get a real big one, Chris. A big old dirty fat one, as you like yeah. to say. A big old dirty fat one. And a quick big old dirty fat one. You know, yeah, he came in at, what was it, 595 Australia was travelling okay, not great. As you say, Cameron Grant had just had his off stump um, gifted to the opposition. Yeah, in a real Pat Cullen, Chris Barty shot. Um, yeah, that's yeah. that's something that you and I could be proud of. Chris. I have, I think, definitely <laughs> I got out that way. Um, playing tenth grade, I can confirm. <laughs> uh, can confirm but look um, magnificent innings you know batting with primarily with the tail briefly with uh, Alex Carey and I will say that my confidence levels having at Travis Head and Alex Carey at the crease at the same time good batsmen though they are was somewhat shaky because judging by the Sheffield Chill results in the past decade the term South Australian batsman is somewhat of an oxymoron <laughs> but not wrong but I you know, Travis Head has dispelled that stereotype with his innings. Mm. You know, he's... And I really like what he's come out and said in the press in the last day or so, which is that he understands that there's some people that will likely... Um, be, will have questioned his batting ability and that one innings doesn't make a summer. You know, he's out to make a few more runs. And I think that that is the kind of language that uh, everyone will be really pleased to hear. Yeah, agree, mate. Agree. Wonderful to see, and I can't wait to see how he cracks on in the Adelaide Oval. Let's keep going with Spinks. ...added 62 runs on its own, plus the 123 runs Travis Head scored after Alex Carey got out. Head actually outscored all of England's first innings runs, so that would have been fun for them. <laughs> Rory Byrne said, Nah you, to Haseeb Hamid, and made him face the first ball of England's second innings, and still managed to be given LBW by the end of the first over. Whilst he was reprieved at that moment, Hamid continued to get nervous once his score had passed his own age and got out in his mid to late 20s. Hamid is going to be a very, very handy cricketer once he turns 70. Later that day, Joe Root and David Milan remembered how to bat a bit and finished the day's play in their 80s. However, because Milan didn't walk when Australia failed to appeal a fairly clear court and bold, ICC match referee David Boone fined England a further 20% of their match fee and another World Test Championship point. Shane Warne was at pains to remind everyone that Mitchell Stark is responsible for many of the atrocities in the Balkans during the early 1910s. <laughs> on day four, Joe Root and David Milan finally remembered that they played for England and are batting in Australia, so Julie threw their wickets away in the morning so they wouldn't get sunburnt, and so Nathan Lyon could cross the 400-wicket threshold to join Glenn McGrath and Mitchell Stark suck 69 as the only Australians to do so. That's warning From then on, Lyon and co took more wickets, and England's papier-mâché tail wagged just enough to force Australia back out to bat again, for which David Boone duly docked England at another 20% of their match fee and another World Test Championship point. 
Shane Warne was seen later that night out the front of Mitchell Stark's house just screaming Stark <laughs> like Stanley Kowalski in a streetcar named Desire. On day five, England did not return to the Gabba, appearing to invoke the it's my bat and I'm going home now rule from the MCC's cul-de-sac cricket guide of 1963. As this rule is only used for UK domestic cricket, England were fined another 20% of their match fee and another World Test Championship point. This took their total points won this test match, taking into account the result of the match, to negative 17 points and 100% of their match fees deducted. Because of England's refusal to turn up on day 5, the Fox Sports coverage was devoted entirely to Shane Warne training for a darts exhibition match using a dartboard covered in photos of Mitchell Stark, which was next to a photo mural where Shane Warne's head had been photoshopped onto Alyssa Healy's in every instance. Actually, can someone please check on Starkey for me? I'm a bit worried for his safety. Yeah. Until next time, friends. Thanks, Big C. You know what, mate? You're not wrong. You're not wrong. You know. I said it, you know, Warney's disdain for Stark is truly breathtaking. Um, Mm. And I think uh, well captured there by Spinks in a very sort of 90s cartoon sort of metaphor, uh, which I am 100% down with. And of course, the Backstreet Boys to really just take us out. Uh, but oh, overall, you've got to say, pretty sensational test for the Aussies and a real stinker for the Poms. Tough to um, tough to uh, find many good things for England there. Ollie Pope is a good thing, but pretty much everything went our way, which is nice for a change, right? Yeah, look, it has been um, a, a little while between rompings. Uh, hasn't it between comfortable victories for Australia? So it, it is. It is nice for the old, uh, for the old ticker to have an easy one just to start off the summer. But I <laughs> don't know that we're necessarily going to have it all our own way, uh, all the way through. I think there were some bright patches there for England, and we've talked about uh, Robinson and Wood. You know, bowled mm. well. You know, with, without luck, without support from the field. Uh, I think it's nice to see Joe Root making some runs, particularly. He's got the, talent, clearly. Yeah, Hamid's got talent. So there's some guys that were, were okay. You know, Joss Butler looked all right in the first innings. Um, you counter-attacked know, well. Counter-attacked he well. To his wicket. So there's yeah. moments in the game there that, that make you think that England has enough here to be competitive if they can string it together, together for long periods of time. Having said that, you know, the Australian performance, there are so many highlights to run through. You know, David Warner's 96, minus Labuschagne batted really well. Uh, yeah. There wasn't a reliance on Steve Smith to anchor the innings. I think that's worth noting. Uh, Travis Head got us out of a, a small spot of bother. Cameron Green takes, uh, you know, not only his first test wicket, but then bowls well in the second innings and takes some some key wickets. Gets so, Joe Root with a ball that swung in like the 78th or 80th over. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, and it's not as yeah as I say, it's not as if he just cleaned up the tail. You know, I mean, this was England's premier batsman that he got out. Um, you know, Nathan Lyon rediscovered some form, bowling really well in the second dig, taking four four wickets. So lots of things to be excited about. And I think also, you know, I mean, there's been some injury worries, which I'm sure we'll talk about um, later on. But there's now depth uh, in a couple Mm. of positions for the Australian test side, which is exciting. You know, we haven't had that in a little while. So that's that's pleasing. Yeah, depth nearly across the board. I mean, obviously there's uh, small worries around two players. I believe Josh Hazelwood has now been officially ruled out of being able to play. 
Um, so it's looking like Jai Richardson's going to come in for him. Although, Bardo, I've said this to you before, and I'll say it again, like I, I really would hope they'd give Nisa a run um, as a like-for-like replacement. And poor old bloke's 31, and has just been doing nothing but taking polls, Bardo. Mm. Taking polls and making hundreds, um, and he can't get a, a gig in the side. I do see, though, that Jai Richardson is in incredible form um, and, you know, he's been taking heaps of wins yeah. as well. So I don't envy the selectors having to make this decision. I'd be happy with either way, I guess. Well, I think Jai Richardson is currently leading the Shield rankings in terms of wickets taken. So, and probably is the immediate choice. But, you know, Michael Nees is just such a quality bowler. And I think, you know, we talk, if we look at some of his statistics over the years, particularly in terms of, you know, his first class cricket, there's 236 wickets there at around 24, if I'm not wrong, which fairly reasonable. Solid. And he's got hundreds with the bat too, Bardo. It's the other thing. He scored a hundred and took a five for in the in the same game. Yeah. Um, last Sheffield Shield. So you know he's a he's a serious operator. Jai, meanwhile, what has he got? He's got uh, he's getting a whole bunch of wickets at twenty one. Um, ninety wickets at twenty one after twenty one games in first class. So you know he's a lot younger and there's a lot of future there. I get that. Um, so you know you got You got to back it either way. Um, and I'm sure Hazel would be back in within a couple of games as well. Side strain hopefully won't take him too long. Um, mm. Yeah, what's your thought there, B-Train? Yeah, I, th- I think you'd be excited about seeing Jai. You'd love to see another West Australian in the squad. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Look, pack him in. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> get the whole team, fill it up with the Warriors, as far uh, as you're concerned, Vic. That's right. Yeah, but I think <laughs> we'll, we'll all be excited to watch Jai Richardson bowl because we saw what he did against Sri Lanka. Uh, you yeah. know, just a couple of summers ago injured himself in the lead up to the 2019 World Cup you know was a notable um, absentee from from that final squad and could have perhaps could have made a difference to the way that we performed at the 2019 World Cup giving us some other options so really great to see him back in the international arena hopefully does get a go but I think you know as as we said if they if they opt with Michael Nisa I don't think anyone can be mad about that because we have fast bowling depth you know there's there's other players underneath these two as well you know Scotty Boland is back bowling really well true even um, Jackson Bird you know Jackson Bird and Jackson Bird is probably the, the the case in point there for someone who has been criminally unlucky and for any other country in the world would have played you know 50 60 70 tests so yeah for sure you know we'll see how we go but uh, interesting times ahead I agree, Chris. I agree. All right. Well, that in mind, let's bloody crack into some TK Hawkey, our wonderful UK correspondent, who I get the feeling is going to be a little on the sad side. Bardo, that's the feeling in my bones. Let's see what he's got to say. Tom K. Hawkey here with your bulletin from a Brit. Well, that was all very predictable. England even managed to out England themselves in that game. So where did it all go wrong? For the second time in Ashes history, an England opener fell to the first ball of the series. Throw in the infamous Harmison Wide and Michael Slater's four of Phil De Freitas, and it's clear that England struggle with opening ball nerves. This time it was Rory Burns, bowled round his legs by Stark, who got things off to a whimper for England. <laughs> he then had a terrible match all round. Uh, that's it, no joke at the end of this paragraph. He was just plain awful. The biggest mistake though was in our selection. Mm. On the eve of the first test, it was revealed that Anderson, 39 years old, would be used sparingly in this series. However, 
Why Broad wasn't picked for Game 1 is beyond anybody's comprehension. Unless there's a secret niggling injury, this was just bad selection. England won the toss on a green-topped pitch under overcast skies with a new kookaburra ball that's claimed will swing more than previous ones, and they were forced to bat first. Forced because they'd opted for Leach over Broad, and picking Leach only makes sense if you're going to make it to day five and the pitch will start turning round corners. Hold up there, TK. Really quickly, Chris, on the ball, it looks like that Kukubara have really done the business there. Mm. I mean, that, like I was saying about Cameron Green before, that is the first time I've ever seen a Kukubara swing after 80 overs. Um, conventionally swing, that is. Like, it was it was hooping around. That little bit of plastic covering has done the business. And I hope it adds a bit of extra durability to the pink ball, too. Mm. And when we get to that, um, I think they should be really impressed by that, the Kukubara team. Well done. Yeah, for sure. Look, and I think it's going to be interesting to see if they hold it for Sheffield Shield and and lower grades of cricket, particularly for years to come. Because as we know, one of the reasons we struggled in England is because of the horizontal movement. Uh, Mm. Whereas when England come here, they struggle because of the vertical movement of the ball. So if we can manage to somehow keep that in to our our developing, you know, and and our um, feeder systems, then it only bodes well, I think, for um, allowing Australian batsmen to succeed in different conditions. So, yeah. as you say, look, job well done. Job well done. Sorry, TK, back to you. Warner must have felt like all his Christmases had come at once when it was announced Broad wasn't in the team. In 2019, Broad took Warner's wicket seven times for just 35 runs. <laughs> Warner scored nearly triple that in his first innings of this series, Uh, No thanks to Stokes overstepping the mark when he managed to bowl him on 17. A big issue for me is the inclusion of Ben Stokes, and not just for that no ball. Stokes last played a test back in July. Since then, he's played just two games in the 100 and a washed out warm-up game against the Lions. Clearly, he's not in form. This is evidenced by his innings of 5 and 14, and 0 for 65 off 12 with the ball. Hold up there, TK. Yeah, I, I agree. I completely do mm. agree. Ben Stokes does look short of a yard. And he did look like he pulled up a sore too. And he might have a minor hamstring strain or something. But the thing I wanted to mention about Stokes was how damn clever Paddy Cummins slash um, Steve Smith was. Um, when Stokes started getting in in the second dig and watched a few balls, he was about to bring on, uh, I think, Cameron Green or um, Josh Hazelwood maybe. And Steve Smith came over and tapped Paddy Cummins on the shoulder and goes, it's your turn, mate. I think it's your turn. Mm. And both innings, we had Stokes out, squared up um, on the back foot and with the ball um, ballooning over towards gully or slip. It's a clear plan that the Aussies have against Stokes and he's fallen into the trap both times. And secondly, he's looked sharp um, short of a yard in his legs, Bardo. Mm. He was running off the short run for a while there. The dude looks sore. And we know Ben Stokes is an incredible cricketer. Like His performance at Headingley yeah. was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my freaking life and it broke my heart in 40 million ways. But um, he's, he's an extraordinary guy. And if he can pull something out, he'll pull something out. But you've got to say, Chris, it doesn't look... He doesn't look like himself. He doesn't look great. I'm sure he can turn it around. But in this game, poof. Yikes. Yeah, look, I think the thing for me with Ben Stokes is, you know, form is temporary, but class is permanent. And yeah, he's, a cl- he's a classy cricketer. So I would back him to bounce back. Looking at the England touring squad, who's he coming out for? You know, who, who's the difference maker there? Um, I'm not quite sure. I think you just... It's a bit like Glenn Maxwell in T20 
T20 cricket and, and ODI cricket, I mean, you know sometimes you're going to get something that raises the eyebrow, but you've got to play him because he's going to all equally do something spectacular. You know, it's, it's a flip of the coin. Um, and I think we've all grown to love the, the big show and, and that's endearing mm. about him now. Um, so, I think the same has to apply with Ben Stokes here. I think you have to acknowledge that, yep, he's probably a little bit underdone. Um, it's not the ideal, ideal preparation, but it's still in there. You know, you don't forget. You don't forget how to play. So, I would back him to back to have some sort of uh, performance at some point in the series where we all remind ourselves of just how good he is. Hundred percent, Chris. Hundred percent. I just hope that he doesn't hurt himself because he's short of a yard. You know, we'll have mm. to see. That still isn't the biggest issue with his selection. When they choose him, the selectors think he balances the batting and bowling well enough to give them license to opt for Leach over Broad. But between them, Stokes and Leach shipped a third of the runs for just one wicket. Oofed. I have a sneaking suspicion that the ECB put pressure on Stokes to come back as they felt he was the talismanic figure England really needed. But in reality, by including him and then Leach, our bowling lineup was considerably weakened. I hope I'm wrong and that he chose to come back himself and that he could regain his form quickly to justify his selection. It wasn't all doom and gloom for England. Hamid looked decent for his mm. 25 and 27, and the size of the occasion didn't seem to rattle him. Recently, England have had a habit of throwing their wickets away, but most of the first innings wickets were due to good balls from Australia, who were ruthless in the field. Thank you, Tom. Root and Milan showed patience and fight in England's second innings, and our pace bowlers all chipped in with decent, though rusty, performances. However, trying to take solace in these small positives is like trying to be happy that you only broke 205 bones in a car crash. <laughs> and so to Adelaide, where many people feel that the day-night game will give England their best chance of winning a match. Anderson and Broad should be able to extract good swing with the pink ball under the lights in the dusky air, so England will almost certainly not play either of them and instead opt for Leach and Bess instead. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Great to hear from you, my friend. Uh, astute as always. And Chris, you know, it's got to be. I, I did a little bit of research after our Ashes preview, right? Mm. I wanted to go and see some other content out there. And I watched some, an Ashes preview from BT Sport featuring Sir Alistair Cook. And I've got to say that his commentary was that England were going to come out and pump the Aussies. The Aussies were all bluster and no content. That mm. um, that it was, you know, the Gabbatois is no longer a fortress since India cracked it last year and that it was going to be 3-1 to England. And I've got to say that Tom Hawkey was a more astute commentator yeah. and a more astute analyst on the game than Sir Alistair Cook. Take that and your 15,000 runs, Alistair Cook. TK's got you by the short and curlies. Yeah, well, we know. Um, well, okay. Um, Alistair Cook's pubic hair aside. Um, <laughs> not sure where to go with that. I was going to say we know that we know that Alistair Cook played the clarinet at uh, ah. school, and we also know that the saxophone is the superior of the woodwind instruments. So I think uh, what we're going to find is that Tom Hawkey actually has a, a secret life as a saxophonist. Um, mm. Is that the word? Saxophonist? Yeah, I believe so. Oh. I think I think it's safe to say that he's the uh, Fela Kuti of Two for None, uh, he's, Tom Hawkey. He, he's the Johnny Coltrane <laughs> to name me a famous clarinet player. I can't, Chris, and that's the point. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Kenny no. G? Was Kenny G clarinet or saxophone? Nah, saxophone. Okay. Alto saxophone, I believe, a lot of the time. Oh, well, no. just proves my point. Sold a lot of records. <laughs> and what a luscious head of hair too, Chris. Yeah. I think you and I could both dream about having that amount of head hair hanging off our heads these days. What a, yeah. what a treat, what a dream that would be. There you go. Um, mate, yes. Look, let's let's look ahead to Adelaide, shall we, Chris? Mm. couple of things to to change and shift. We've talked about Jai Richardson coming into the side. We've talked about... Um, we haven't really talked about David Warner, though. David Warner copped a whole bunch of short balls from Mark Wood. Um, really well-directed short balls, it's got to be said, from Mark Wood, who did bowl yeah. very well, and has got some bruised ribs. But it largely didn't field on the third day, and on the fourth day didn't bat. Um, Alex Carey opened the batting. So yeah. there's a bit of conjecture there, Chris, about whether he'll um, make the... Uh, Make it make the cut, whether it'll be all right to play. Well, I think just one thing to acknowledge too before we talk about potential replacements for Dave Warner is that Alex Carey's test debut innings, he came out to face a hat trick ball. Yeah. And then the second innings, he was called up to open the batting, uh, wow. having never you know, not, not done that recently. Um, so he probably feels pretty stable in the batting lineup. Um, yep, I reckon. But I think in terms of replacements, should David Warner not, not be fit on the day? Uh, to me, I think Usman Khawaja is the logical choice, uh, mm-hmm. although there are some other options available for us. We're, you know, we're getting into that sweet, sweet depth uh, that we're actually, we're starting to build now. Ooh, yeah, Chris. Which sweet, is really sweet cool. depth. Especially so, at the top of the order, not something that we've had. In fact, it's yeah. fair to say batting stocks in Australia, generally speaking, for the last sort of arguably a decade, Chris, have been a little bit fluctuatory. You know, our sweet boy Curtis Patterson came in and had a really good debut a bit mm-hmm. against Sri Lanka, but has been a bit short of a yard since. Um, and there hasn't been a lot of fellas knocking around the door, but you've got a couple of people from this recent tour match who yeah. think might be a bit of a fight. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we've obviously got Osman Kwaja, who uh, I think is in the top one or two batsmen in the Shield uh, runs this season. Good touch. Yeah. Good touch. Um, hasn't wowed lately with his opportunities to secure selection, but that's okay. You know, he's in, he's in amongst the team. We know what we're getting. And we're happy with what we're getting. Uh, some other options for us. So we've got a uh, young man by the name of Bryce Street, Pat. Bryce mm, Street. Good name. Strong good, name. Good name and good performances recently, particularly in the game against the England Lions, Australia A versus the England Lions. Bryce picks up 119 not out uh, in the second dig um, of 254 deliveries. So, you know, certainly a viable option and still only, I think, around 23 years old. So if they mm. decide to go young, if they decide to go young, um, then this is a viable option for us. Another guy who's been floating around doing some good things, you might remember this name, uh, Matty Renshaw. Ah, the turtle. Uh, the turtle. Um, now, Matty has um, you know, obviously opened for Australia before, has a test match hunt, test match 100. Um, you know, went back to Queensland and found himself outside of the Queensland Shield side there for a little while, mm. but has reinvented himself as a middle-order batsman and has been making some runs for Queensland. So And has batted with David Warner before. So there's a couple of guys... I believe he's been crossed as an all-rounder, Matty um, Renshaw. Yeah. He's now taking some poles with his off-breaks too. Does bowl some off-breaks. Now, whether it's finger spin or wrist spin, I think is to be determined... <laughs> I'm pretty sure in uh, Matty Renshaw's case, it'd be finger spin. Yeah, probably. I don't think I'm going to be able to find any quick info (laughs) articles to the contrary. Mid-2000s quick info articles to get you across the line there. On that one, yeah. Uh, (laughs) But some options there uh, there for us, which is really exciting and and I think bodes well for the future of 
um, Australian cricket. And of course, we can't forget, although he definitely will not feature in this summer's uh, series, we've got Will Pukowski as well coming back from... Who's coming back to bat in January, start yeah, Premier Cricket again. That's right. Although, you've got to ask yourself, Chris, and I'm sure he's asking himself too, how many more concussions the bloke can cop? Um, it's a yeah. bit of a worry. It is, it so is a concern. I hope he gets in the nets with Ricky Ponting and, and, and gets on top of the old pull shot, the hook shot there. But Will Pukowski is a precocious talent. The dude is awesome, and we'd love to see him back. I, I think, Chris... Given that this is unlikely to be a multi-test stint, you know, David will probably recover from his bruised ribs within a, a test or two. He probably will be back for Boxing Day, if not New Year. They'll, they'll, it'd be unlikely to blood a new bloke, especially mm. in a Nasher series. I mean, it might happen. We've seen crazier selection shocks, but I think more than likely it was going to do it. He's got a good record at the top. But you know what I am pleased to see, Chris? I am pleased to see these other fellas are lighting a bit of a fire underneath Marcus mm. Harris's butt. Because Marcus Harris yeah. has been in struggle town and is he's, he's holding a record, I think, for the lowest score by an opening batsman, or lowest average after or something. Yeah. There's, a, there's a stat. Yeah, so the, the, the stat is that um, of 200 and... I think 223 batsmen that have opened the batting for Australia for 20 innings or more. Uh, Marcus Harris is ranked 223rd. So it's not a... Yeah. Uh, it's a bit, it's an auspicious start, isn't it? It's, it's not... Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's, it's not great. Is that the right... Inauspicious, the word? Chris. Inauspicious. Yep, That's there right, yeah. There you go. <laughs> inauspicious. Um, that was an inauspicious use of the word auspicious. <laughs> so, well done. Um, yeah. So, look, interesting times there at the, at the top of the order. I think, if anything, what this does, though, is it perhaps relieves a bit of pressure off, off Marcus Harris for the time being. You, gen, you tend not to want to change a winning side. Uh, and with some potential instability there, if David Warner is not right to play, you'd be unlikely to not select Marcus Harris. He's also had some reasonable innings, too. So, I think... Oh, totally. You know, he's, he's got a couple of 50s under his belt. What potentially is hurting his average is that he hasn't gone on to make that that big, dirty, fat one. So, um, hopefully that's not too far around the corner. And, mate, like, I'm totally happy for him, the selectors, to give Harris... Because they they ask me a lot, Chris, just like the English selectors are constantly on the horn to us. The Australian collectors are always on the horn to me, being like, Paddy, what do you reckon about Marcus? Um, And my, my big vibe is I'm really happy for him to get all five tests this summer. I think give him an extended crack. Give him 10 innings to have a really good go at getting this score and finding his feet, you know, because what he's doing is incredibly difficult, right? Like we all, we're all prepared to give him that. But at the same time, I also want these fellas who, these young blokes who are opening the batting for their state sides to just keep hitting hundreds, but keep mm. hitting hundreds. So if Marcus Harris does find a drop in form, he's not able to hack it or if anything goes to the absolute dogs, um, maybe, maybe they could see him jump in at some point sorry pat just a quick interruption from me pat in the future whoa the future yeah it's full of 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 skateboards that that float and no it's not really um what i can tell you is the australian team has been announced for the first test it is marcus harris david warner manus labashane steve smith travis head Cameron Green, Alex Carey, Pat Cummins, Mitch Stark, Nathan Lyon, and Jai Richardson. So Warner, it seems, has pulled up well enough to be able to bat on, and Richardson has got the nod. So pleasing to see that Barty and I were on the money there, wildly. 
Back to you, past Pat. The other piece of exciting news, Chris, we've got to wrap up in a second. I've got to got to hit the road. You've got to hit the frog and toad. Got to hit the Bryce Street. Um, but uh, the other exciting thing, Chris, is that Tasmania has been confirmed as getting the last test match, the fifth and final test match, Chris. And I'm personally very excited. I love a test at Blundstone. I think it's going to be really exciting. Day, night, in Hobart. It's going to be bloody freezing. <laughs> it's going to yeah. be so cold. Look, as devastated as I am, there's not going to be any international cricket in Perth this summer, Pat. If there was one location that I'm happy to see a test match occurring, it is in Hobart. Um, although, I do question the decision about a day-night test match. Um, I think just as we saw during COVID-19, um, a short supply of masks because there was an unexpe- unexpected demand, the suppliers of rugs and beanies and mittens... In hand warmers, hand warmers in oh uh, Tasmania, they're just in panic mode. You know, <laughs> they're calling up all their manufacturing mates around the world and saying, "Look, <laughs> you know, Queen. we need we need fourteen thousand uh, beanies, we need fourteen thousand pairs of mittens, and we need fourteen thousand rugs." Um, you know, to, to last us this unexpected test match, this gift that's come their way. To which manufacturers around the world replied, "Sure." That should be fine. We can fill that order. Cause on whatever. that front, Chris, I've just had a thought, which is we need somebody in Tasmania. If you're on the ground in Tasmania, send me an email, gingersnapsydney at gmail.com. I'll put it in the episode description. And um, we are going to get, I think we should, what we should do, Bardo, is get some two-for-none branded hand warmers and foot warmers. Sure. Get somebody on the ground there um, outside Bell Reeve, just selling them at a premium. And this could be the way that you and I can finally quit our day jobs, Bardo, and just full-time podcast, all the time two-for-none, live off the beautiful profits that come from <laughs> hand and foot warmers being yeah. sold at Bell Reeve. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, there's only 14,000 seat capacity. So I actually think we could. We could do it. Um, if we get... <laughs> If we get started now, you know, we might be able to If we get started now, Chris, we could make it happen. Um, Mate, Adelaide next. Adelaide day night. We're sure to see Broad and Anderson back. Um, We're sure to see probably Jai Richardson hooping around. Quick prediction from you, Bardo. How do you see it playing out? Uh, Look, I think this test match will be a little bit closer than what we saw at the Gabba. Um, But I see Australia winning. It's hard to see anything else at uh, this stage. But that's the beauty of test cricket, isn't it? especially a day-night cricket, mate, anything can happen. I'm going to come out, Bardo, as you'd expect from me, I'm going to come out hard and say we're going to bloody thump them. We're going to absolutely roll them, um, is how I see this going. Mitchell Stark, bloody pink ball, two left armers, lots of um, creases, lots of marks in the pitch for Gary Lyon just to turn him through the gate. Um, I reckon England are going to get rolled because their batting order, especially their top order, is about as fragile as a china shop, Bardo. And the Australians are a raging bull, ready to just go in there and wreck it to pieces. So I think we're going to freaking roll them, is how I feel. Okay, well, on that graphic image, um, (laughs) I think we should uh, adjourn and look forward to see what Adelaide has to offer. I look forward to that, Chris. And I also look forward to eating humble pie uh, when it all goes to the dogs. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Great to have you with us. And uh, we will see you after the next test match. Always a pleasure, Pat. Thanks, mate. Go, those Aussies. Go, those Aussies. Go. Come on. Two 
Bananas created, presented, edited and produced by me, Patrick Cullen. My co-host is Chris Barty. Big thanks to Tom Hawkey, Alex Spinks and Chris Barty for joining me on the show. We had a clip from the Benny Hill theme song in this episode, as well as original music by me. Two for None is produced by Ginger Snap Productions. Check out our other show, The Isocast, in your podcatcher. And make sure you like, rate, review and subscribe to all of our podcasts. Tell a cricket fan about this show and we will see you around, oh, I don't know, December 20th, December 21st, something like that, for a wrap-up of Adelaide and a preview for the Boxing Day Test. Go those Aussies! Awesome.